Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Only Fantasy Today, friends. It's Wednesday on Fantasy NBA Today. Off-season episode 48, I think. I'm pretty sure the end of this week is 10 weeks of off-season. And uh, that might actually mark the actual halfway part point like to real games no that can't be right slightly longer than that slightly longer than that but we are i would say as soon as next week we start kind of the down slope so that's pretty cool finals rolling along next game warriors could wrap it up tomorrow which would be 67 days i believe from the end of the regular season that's it's a little bit crazy that's a little bit crazy. Baseball playoffs, even with an expanded playoffs a couple of years back, still only took a month. Basketball playoffs are going to be, they're already over two months. That's too long. It's too long. I get it. You want guys like Robert Williams to have a functional knee for these games in the finals. You want Steph, who had his foot rolled up on. You want these guys to have time to recover between games, but good Lord. You know, if that's how you feel, then speed up the, the earlier rounds. Get the first round done in a week and a half. You get one day off between every game. And, uh, you know, each division, you the final start on a particular day, I guess. Well, we got to get this. We got to get this shorter somehow. Doesn't matter. Not a problem that we can solve today, nor a problem that we'll be allowed to solve anyway, because they got their commercial money, whatever. As long as the stadiums are packed, it's fine. But for those of us that are ready to kind of see a winner, yeesh. Toronto Raptors, team du jour. Toronto Raptors, uh, always a fun fantasy team because they play their guys an inordinate number of minutes. It does tend to lead to missed games, and every year that's going to be a problem, which makes the Raptors a much more fun uh, roto team than head-to-head because of the whole games cap situation. And as a result, this is a team that, from a fantasy standpoint, ends up being kind of a tale of two situations. Each player, their own unique monster. And in terms of, you know, contractually... Thad Young, who they acquired midseason, he's now off the books. Chris Boucher is a free agent who most folks believe the Raptors will try to retain and will operate on the assumption that he will be. But as far as, like, nibbling around the edges, it's just there's no room for that. Pascal Siakam's making 36 mil. Freddie Van Vliet's making 21. Gary Trent, 18. OG Ananobi, 17. Scotty Barnes on a rookie deal at 7.5. That's just going to continue to escalate over the next couple of seasons. But this year, the Raptors will pretty much be what they were again. A couple of names that came off the books, but they were all, other than Thad, the midseason deal, and then Boucher, who, again, it seems like will be back around, the big contracts are still there. I guess Thad is really kind of the one. He was making 14 mil this last season, and I don't know, it doesn't seem like he's going to be back there. He didn't have a... He didn't play much. We do love ourselves some Thad, but that's one you can leave off to the side for a little bit here. But Siakam, 
Freddie Van Vliet, Gary Trent, OG Ananobi, kind of the main four. Those guys are all locked in. And then the Rook, Scotty Barnes, you want to call it the main five, and I think you probably should. His contract is for a while yet. Those guys, the contract boys, whatever you want to call them, the guys getting, making actual money on this team, Freddie Van Fleet was number 17 on a per-game basis this year. Siakam was 35, Gary Trent was 44, Ananobi was 52, and Scotty Barnes was 66. Per game. Chris Boucher, next closest, was 157, but with a whole bunch of caveats. Boucher had long stretches this year where he was inside the top 80, generally occurring when other guys were out. It often took two guys out to get him there, although as the season wore on, he moved ahead of Kem Birch in particular in the pecking order, and so it really only kind of took one starter being down to give Boucher that the 25-26 minutes we saw he needed this year. That's a story in and of itself, but a, a good enough reason where we don't need to draft Boucher. He was forced to be more of a team player this season. We mentioned that it, you know, his usage decreased precipitously season over season. He was no longer a 20-minute warrior the way that he was in well last year because in 21 minutes this season, he was only taking seven shots, half a steal, one block. Like Some of the stuff was still pretty good, 9.6 rebounds, but now he needs 24, 25 minutes instead of 20 or 21 which is what we had seen in the past. Last year, remember, not this most recent season, last year he was up around 24, 25 minutes, and that was good enough for top 50. That ain't going to get him there this time around. If he wants to go top 50, he needs starters minutes, so 28 or above, if we can put the barrier there. If he can get to 24, he's inside the top 100. 23 might even do the trick there. And it's going to come down once again, like always, to someone being hurt. Because as long as no one's hurt, which presumably will be the case to start the year and then for like three weeks and then the, you start the rotation, it's those main five guys. Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent, Pascal Siakam, Freddie Van Vliet. Which you would think makes this team relatively easy to handicap. And frankly, it kind of does, at least on a game-to-game -game scenario. The one thing I do wonder about with the Raptors, who finished at 48 and 34, they were the five seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't know that anybody looked at that team and thought title contender because they couldn't really guard anybody. Yeah, they did fine. You know, they, they pushed the Sixers a little bit, but Philly ultimately came out in front of that series. And, you know, Philly was the team that everybody looked at going to the playoffs and thought paper tiger. So if the Raptors couldn't get past them then they kind of have to look at themselves a little bit and say, well, what, what can we possibly do with this unit where, again, all we can really do from a free agent standpoint if we bring back Boucher, and maybe they don't. Maybe they go spend that money on someone else, but it's going to be largely nibbling around the edges because a lot of big contracts are already on the books. They got room for a medium. They got room for a medium. Who that might be, I have no idea, but a medium isn't usually the guy that gets you over the hump. There are two things that get the Raptors back into some kind of title contention. Thing number one 
and I don't know, do we call this the more likely thing or the or the less likely thing? I really don't know. Uh, but if you look at the last game of their playoff series, they just got absolutely trampled by the 76ers, 132-97. to That's how everything ended up coming apart. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Um, they didn't have Freddie Van Vliet for that ball game. Chris Boucher was great. He had 25 and 10 in that one, actually. He was maybe their best player that night. Doesn't really matter. Uh, but it forced... Kem Birch into a very short-lived starting job at forced Chris Boucher into much larger minutes is health. Looping back around to thing number one. Thing number one for the Raptors is health. But it's a double-edged sword because if the Raptors focus on team health, that would mean decreasing minutes played by their key guys. You cannot play Freddie Van Vliet, 38 minutes a ball game, and expect him to survive the season. The fact that he only missed 17 games this year, I actually think is kind of a win. By totals, he was number 22. He still managed to hang in the second round. He got kind of close to what most players in the NBA were playing, which was about 67 ball games this year. As evidenced by the fact that Pascal Siakam played 68, and he was 35 by totals, or 35 by average, 31 by totals. Ever so slightly ahead. Scotty Barnes was relatively healthy. He played 74 games this year. And, you know, maybe that's just rookie legs hanging in there, but that's a good sign. Gary Trent played 70, which was also better than league average. So, good. OG Ananobi, now missed 34 games this season. More, I think, even than a Raptor should miss. But this is part of the equation. Can you take these five guys, if you're Toronto, and say, five guys, hamburger joint, and Nick Nurse, we need these players to not be in the top five in minutes per game in the NBA on a per-game basis. We can't have it. Pascal Siakam was number one, if you include their brief playoff run. Let me see what it was, actually, if you take the the playoffs out on Siakam. Uh, he was still number one. Tied with his teammate Freddie Van Fleet, who was just behind him by, like, a couple of seconds. Kyrie Irving, oddly enough, was number three, but he only played 29 games, and he got, like, two weeks off between them. So you could kind of understand that one. Kevin Durant, James Harden, those guys were behind him 
If you're wondering why these dudes missed games, it's pretty obvious. There's only one player in the top 10 in minutes per game that wasn't hurt this year, and that's DeMar DeRozan. The other ones, now Siakam started the year hurt, so that one maybe you could call healthy. Siakam, call it a wash, because he didn't really get hurt once the season got going. Van Vliet, hurt. And when I say hurt, I miss, miss more than league average number of games. So Siakam, you get a plus one there. Freddie Van Vliet, minus two. Kyrie Irving, odd situation, but minus 50, basically. Kevin Durant, missed 27 games. Harden missed 17. LeBron missed 25 games. Dame missed most of the season. DeMar DeRozan didn't. OG Ananobi, 24 games. Sorry, 34 games. Bradley Beal, half the season. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. That was 10. Once you get outside the top 10 in minutes per game, it actually, believe it or not, you start to see some healthier players. So maybe we shouldn't say top 10, but we should say folks exceeding 36 minutes per game. That seems to be the cutoff. You play in 9 minutes a quarter, you're not going to make it. Probably. What are the odds that Toronto does that? As long as Nick Nurse is the coach, I think the odds of that are low. They probably continue to play their guys this many minutes. Why would we assume something would just magically turn over? I can't. They have the number one and number two guy in the NBA in minutes per game, Van Vliet and Siakam, in whatever order you want to put them in. And then Ananobi also inside the top ten. And by the way, you don't have to go much farther to get to Scotty Barnes. I think he's number 15. And Gary Trent is like number 20 or 22 or something on a per-game basis. That's rough. Their entire starting five is in the top 25 in minutes per game. The entire starting five, which is great from a can-they-rack-up fantasy stats standpoint because the answer is obviously yes if you're playing 35 minutes a game you got to be real bad to not put up fantasy numbers i mean the list that we were reading off yes those guys missed games but the only player inside that 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 had minutes per game uh inside the top like 50 i think i'm getting this right it's about 45 the top 45 Minutes per game guys in the NBA were all inside the top 105 besides Julius Randle, who was 126 because his percentages were so damn bad, he couldn't overcome it. De'Aaron Fox was another kind of disappointing name in there, also percentages weighing him down. And then Harrison Barnes at 105 uh, was not percentages, it was that we really had almost nothing else scoring and like was pretty good at the free throw line he played a lot of minutes but just didn't really do fantasy stuff with them although he was okay for most of the season kind of fell off late you got to get down to like player 60 Lou Dort to find a guy who played a decent chunk of minutes and didn't have good fantasy value Will Barton at like number 70 at 32.1 minutes per game so that's the thing like if someone's playing 32 minutes a game or more they're probably gonna have fantasy value odds are what did we name three guys out of the top 55 that didn't so this is great 
For Toronto, and from a Roto Games Cap standpoint, you have every reason to like most of these guys. Fan Fleet, uh, second rounder per game, slightly later by totals, because the knee thing is always going to crop up with him. It's always going to be something. Uh, Pascal Siakam started the year hurt and then managed to sort of hang on the rest of the way, so that was good news for him. Uh, and if you assume that he'll continue to play huge minutes and put up good numbers, fine. No reason to think he won't be uh, probably a late third-rounder on a per-game basis again. Does he drop a tiny bit back? I guess it's possible. He had, you know, he shot 49% this year. Did a lot of good stuff. But him going in that range seems quite reasonable in a Roto League. Gary Trent, I don't think he gets drafted as high as he was, but there's... Not like there's somebody coming for his job on this team. So, sure, why not? He could be, uh, I don't know, maybe he doesn't go full top 50 again. Steals were just crazy high early in the season, kind of floated him as the year went on. But, you know, why not top 60? Ananobi should probably be better. His percentages were both bad, and everything else was actually pretty good. So let's say he makes a slight positive move in either of his two, field goal or free throw percent. That's a way that he moves inside the top 50 pretty easily. And then Scotty Barnes, who was a rookie, we have every reason to believe that he continues to get better. Free throw line in particular seems eminently doable at 73.5. Get that up to 76, 77. He moves towards top 50. What if he gets to do more next year? Maybe he hits 1.23s instead of 0.8. Maybe he scores 16.5 instead of 15. I don't know who this hurts. Some combination of everybody else. But Barnes probably gets a tiny bit better. On the head-to-head side, who do you actually look at in this one? Gary Trent is probably someone you could take a look at because he was only at 35 minutes per game, and we, we've seen players actually make it through a year healthy at 35 minutes. Scotty Barnes, very young, also in the 35s. Although his probably goes up, frankly. Second year, why not play 36 and a half? Add a minute to his total. I don't know where Barnes gets drafted. Maybe near 60. I'd go sixth round on him. Gary Trent, I'd go late fifth, early sixth, kind of that same range. And Siakam, frankly, I'd take him late third, early fourth. I'm totally fine with that. The ones that, and and by the way, that's in any format. I think those three guys you you can feel somewhat comfortable with, although again, with Siakam, those huge minutes, you do feel like eventually they'll take a toll on you. And frankly, they'll probably be someone I'd rather have late third anyway, but I don't have a, a problem with it is maybe a better way to describe how I feel about Siakam going into next year. I don't have a problem with him going there. If you were like, Dan, I took Siakam at 35, I'd be like, alright, fine, whatever. That's fine. Ananobi and Freddie Van Fleet, I think, are the most complicated of these main cogs. OG, because now we've seen this is a couple seasons running that he hasn't seemed, well, as healthy as we'd want. I don't know. What's the right way to describe it? We've wanted more. His ADP was listed at 48, but by the time most of our drafts were coming around, he was going much earlier than that, more like late 30s to around 40. And from a usage standpoint, everything was cool. He took a, a career-high 14.5 shots per game when he was on the floor this season. Uh, scoring was up. Steals held steady. Blocks did trickle off a little bit. Minutes were the highest they'd ever been. Uh, but the health now for him, that's two years in a row 
where he's missed a very large chunk of the season. Last year, missed 29 games. This year, 34. Those are, those are big numbers. Previous year, only three. Year before that, 15. His rookie season, eight. So those numbers were fine. So then going into last year, you thought, all right, well, we haven't seen any huge red flags yet. But coming out of last year, there were some red flags. And they were there in, in big, uh, the flags got bigger. The one thing that I do like, or a few things I should say, I do like about Ananobi. First, do we call this a chronic thing? Do we think that this is fluky? It's hard to see him missing more games, but that's not a good barometer by which to draft somebody. And if he was going really like near 40 this last year, and his per-game production this season was near 50, and he was badly dinged up, I have to assume that that does put a damper on his ADP for this coming season, and that he probably goes after 50. Which puts him back on the radar, because in 36 minutes a game... His per-game production this year, I thought, was kind of a floor for OG. Because he wasn't fully healthy. We never really saw him at max power this year. His field goal percent was down from 48 to 44, and he's career 47. Even last year, he shot 48% from the field with six three-pointers a game. So the fact that he's taken six and a half threes this year, that shouldn't have impacted it. It was really... The bigger deal for him was that he was missing two-pointers, more than threes. Free throw percent is fine. He's going to be a 75-er. I don't know that, you know, he had one year where he was 78, but largely it's been lower than that. Rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, all that stuff should stay relatively constant. And if his field goal percent ratchets up by 2 or 3%, not only do you get the bump from that being better, and that moves him from just outside the top 50 to probably, like, 44 45 range but you also get the extra one to one and a half points or whatever that equates to here an extra half made bucket of ball game that bumps him up more towards late 30s early 40s so if he's gonna go at like 55 or 60 he only really needs to get to like 64 65 games to hit his totals adp and if you're able to get him as a late fifth rounder and you've mostly drafted healthy guys before that, you could take it if he only plays, say, 55 games. You fill in those extra games with streamers of some kind. Maybe it's Chris Boucher on his own club. Freddie Van Vliet is actually a little bit of a tougher sell to me because the fact that he was so hurt that he couldn't get himself going in the playoffs, mm, that's, that's disconcerting. And I know Ananobi was horrible in some of those playoff games, and maybe it's because he was playing hurt also. But again, Van Vliet wasn't there. And he, the fact that he played 65 games this season almost feels like we dodged a bullet, like we got lucky that he didn't miss more. He was being drafted uh, mid-second round, which was fairly accurate. I thought there was a chance he could even go higher than that. Um, but he deferred at times this season to, like Pascal Siakam, folks similar to that. Still, he did have a career high in uh, points at 20.3, career high in rebounds, 4.4, assists, 6.7, turnovers, whoops, 2.6. That was a career high. Steals stayed high. Blocks were down a tiny bit, but they're actually a pretty good number for him. And 3.73s, very low field goal percent, no surprise there. 
I think a lot of that's pretty predictable with Van Fleet season over season. Uh, maybe the scoring comes down ever so slightly if, I would hope, his minutes also come down from 38 to more like 36. You got to get him through the year. Which means I'm not drafting him in a head-to-head league. And in Roto, I'm only looking at him if I think I could get him at like 25. I want early third on Van Fleet. I don't want to spend a second-round pick. And I know the per-game stuff is good. He should probably be in the second round on a per-game basis. Just because of his role, his, his spot with this team. But at the same time, we got to be... We got to be more judicious with our second round stuff. We need to be looking for guys where the target is 74 games or more, not 67 or more. Not please get to league average. If he beats the league average in number of games played, that's probably an unwise decision for the Raptors headed towards the playoffs. They need him in the postseason. Sometimes guys can fill in for a little bit, but they need their floor general out there. It's as simple as that, and if the Raptors can't see it, then truly all is lost. And they, this is a smart organization, so surely they can look and see this is a guy who cannot play 38 minutes a game during the regular season. You can't do it. I assume the Raptors see it. I do. They might not, in which case maybe Van Vliet just duplicates this year. Mid-second per game, late-second totals, and maybe somebody takes him at 18, and it's not me. And that's okay, because the thing that crushed us this year was that most of the guys that got drafted between, we've talked about this a thousand times, between 10 and 15 missed half the season. Paul George missed half the season. Bam Adebayo missed two months. Anthony Davis missed half the season. Bradley Beal missed half the season. Jimmy Butler missed a little less than half the season, but still a pretty goodly amount of time. And sure, a lot of these guys had decent enough per-game production, but head-to-head or roto, it doesn't matter what format you're in. You need those guys playing league average number of games, or more. It means everything. And the guys in that top group that accomplished that feat, Nikola Jokic, obviously, (laughs) Joel Embiid, surprise twist, Cat, no surprise there, Trey Young, okay, Jason Tatum. That was almost it. If you're looking at some of the guys drafted up near the top, where did Giannis get to? What was Giannis at? 67. Okay, he was right on it. 67. We'll give Giannis Giannis, uh, credit there as well. Those are the guys drafted in the first, like, 17 or 18 that actually got to the league average number of games played. Seems nuts, doesn't it? But if you look at the teams that won your fantasy leagues, how many of them had Jokic? How many of them had Embiid? Typically, or Cat. Your Roto leagues, your head-to-head leagues, I'd say maybe even more so Roto, top couple of teams almost always had one of those three guys. Not every single one, but almost always. Go look at the top three. I bet two of the three you could find Jokic, Embiid, or Cat on them. 
Because if you get a first-rounder who plays, it means everything. And if you get a second-rounder who plays, it's the next best thing. Guys who were drafted in the second round this year that ended up getting near games played, LaMelo Ball played 75. Rudy Gobert at 66 was close. Donovan Mitchell at 67. That one counts. Did Demonis Sabonis get there? I can't remember. No, because he, he got shut down at the end of the year, so he didn't get there. I mean, that was almost it again. Vooch, 73. Sorry, Vooch. Almost left you off the list. Vooch gets it. This is a huge deal. I don't know how Chris Paul got to 65 despite the busted hand, but that's pretty close. And he went later than that anyway. Look at your teams. Look at your winning teams and look who had those key second-round guys that got to league average number of games played. This is what we need to be hunting. Yeah, fine. You know, upside swings. We all get so enamored with upside swings. But they don't win it. They don't. Devin Booker, by the way, also on that list. Left him off by accident. Still looking. I'm still still looking as I'm talking about other stuff. The play-by-play broadcasters crossed a bear. You're looking at one thing and you're talking about another thing and you just assume that the stuff you're saying makes sense because you're like two sentences behind... Your mouth is two sentences behind your brain. Broadcasters, play-by-play broadcasters, are like the hamsters of talking. We just store up words in our cheeks, and we're already looking for our next thing while those words are coming. It's a really hard thing to explain to somebody, to like plan a few sentences ahead so that your mouth can just keep saying them while you're doing your next bit of research. Anyway, that's it for today. I think you guys got the gist on my Raptors stuff. Freddie Van Fleet, probably too dangerous for me. Siakam, late third, early fourth. Trent, I would hunt late five, early six. Same story for Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, and kind of the same story for Scotty Barnes, actually. I want all three of those guys coming my way between 50 and 70. And if they can do it, we might have some Raptors on our team. We shall see. Have a lovely Wednesday, everybody. Who the hell's next? I lost track of where we're at. Ooh, I want to look it up. I want to look it up before we sign off for the day. Who's next? Is it Sixers, Bucks, 51 wins? Oh, the Utah Jazz. I'm going to call them Utah, like that old Jimmy Kimmel, Carl Malone thing, which he didn't get in all that much trouble for. That kind of surprises me. Uh, The Jazz, who just had their coach walk. Yeesh. That'll be a loaded one tomorrow. Looking forward to it. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks for continuing to listen, everybody. Halfway point of June, we rumble along. Talk to you tomorrow.